scripture reading is taken from Psalms chapter 19, Psalms 19. I'd like to read responsibly the entire chapter, all 14 verses. Allow me to begin reading in verse number 1. Now we'll read the succeeding odd numbered verses. Would you begin reading with me please in verse number 2, along with the succeeding even numbered verses. And in respect to the reading of the word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Matthew, or excuse me, Psalms 19, reading responsively. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward." Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And let's make our prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, May the words of our mouth, may the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, may you be well pleased and honored with our worship, our corporate worship this morning. Lord, as we gather together as a body, pray that, Lord, you'd bless your church. This is your church you died for, but Lord, I pray that you'd bless each individual within the sound of this voice. Have your will and way in our midst, we pray. Speak to every heart, boy and girl, man and woman, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing, please, if we could. Amen. You remain standing with me. We're going to sing our praise chorus for this month. And at this time, all children and children's workers can be dismissed to junior church. As you stand with me, we're going to sing, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Can we sing it one more time, please? Give ear unto my words, O Lord. 
my my apologies. I don't know that very well. <laughs> well That's all right. We'll keep working on that one as the month goes on. Pastor, you go ahead and preach to us. Uh, hey, man, you may be seated. And uh, yes, that is. Uh, we're a little rough on that. That's okay. We're going to learn to sing it for the next three Sundays. And the Psalms, of course, were the, were the songbook of the Hebrews. They sung all these Psalms. And I invite your attention again to turn to Psalm 19. Again, not a chapter, but a psalm, or a song, as we would call it. In our Bibles, a psalm. And we looked at this, this psaltery, as it's called collectively. This, we looked at Psalm 1 last week, the Blessed Man Psalm. Lord willing, we'll look at the Good Shepherd Psalm, that's Psalm 23, next Sunday. And then we'll look at the Psalm of Hope in Psalm 27 in a couple Sundays from now. A Psalm of where we get draw to Palm Sunday, the Psalm of the Penitent. This Calvary Psalm, and then the Resurrection Sunday, the Because He Lives Psalm. Psalm 73, several weeks from now, we'll look at the My Feet Were Almost Gone Psalm, the Psalm of 73, and then Psalm 100, the Thanksgiving Psalm, and finally, of course, the Word of God Psalm, the longest chapter or Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119, of course. Psalms 19 is a wonderful psalm. I suppose, if my memory break serves me right, I memorized the first psalm I ever memorized was Psalm 23. The second psalm I memorized, and maybe you memorized, was Psalm maybe 100. That's for me, it was Psalm 100. The third psalm I memorized was Psalm 1. We looked at it last Sunday, of course. And then uh, when I was an older teenager, I memorized Psalm 19. I call this the world and the word psalm. The world and the word psalm. I came out of my house this morning and I've been getting lazier. My Sunday mornings are my earliest morning to get up, of course. Normally I'm up at 3.30, 4 o'clock, but I slept in this morning here and after 5 o'clock and got out of the house right before 6 and I went to my place of meditation and went to Dunkin' Donuts, of course, and uh, get my meeting with hazelnut cream only from John there at Dunkin' Donuts. And then, uh, but as I was driving over to Dunkin's, uh, I looked up in the sky and, of course, I knew I was preaching this, from this psalm, obviously, and so uh, I looked at the stars. It's a beautiful morning out this morning, about 5:45, whatever it was. And then, as I turned on the 202 and headed into Torrington for the short half-mile drive, whatever it is, I looked up and there was a full moon. And you could see the the contrast of the moon, the, and it was uh, looked like about this big in the sky. It was gorgeous, of course, and it would lit up the sky. And I I saw the the glory of God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. I preached a message three months ago now. I think it was back in November or December of last year. We preached a message on Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool have said. Now the fool knows that there's a God, but he says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says there is no heart. The fool says, makes a mockery and says that God's not real. I don't believe there's any such thing as a real atheist. He's an atheist is someone that's convinced himself or made themselves sit in their heart so many times that there is no God that they now say they claim they believe it, but they're liars. God is clearly seen in two books. In this message, you say, Preacher, where to get your messages from? Well, I have a number of commentaries, to, commentators that I do look at, it, and I admit that. And I, I, but I got this message overall from meditation. But I got this looking at a number of different commentators, and almost all commentators divide this chapter up or this psalm up in two divisions, verses 1 to 6, and of course verses 7 through 
verse number 14. We want to notice in verses 1 through 6 as we begin this morning, God's revelation in the sky. God's revelation of himself in the skies. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. In the firmament, the heavens, the, the air showeth his handiwork. Day unto day, every day, utter speech, the knowledge that there's God. Shouts it out loud. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, nor language. There's no nation. There's no, there's no language, whether it be Chinese, whether it be American, Russian, Ukrainian, what have you, where his voice, where their voice is not heard. Their line or their rule has gone out through the end of uh, all, all the earth and their words, words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. I want you to consider three things as we begin this morning in regards to God's revelation in the sky. First of all, consider with me the fact that the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, God's unmistakable glory. God's unmistakable glory. Turn over, if you would, please, to Psalm 8, just a few pages away in your Bible, of course. It's a sister psalm. I want you to notice verse number one. The Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? The Bible says, out of verse number two, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. That word strength is the same word for praise in our Hebrew language. Because of thine enemies, thou, thou mightest instill the enemy and the avenger. Verse number three. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers. The Bible says the work of thy fingers. What is the work of his fingers? Well, verse 3 says, The sun, or the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? When I got out in my car and I drove and I saw that beautiful moon, I saw the stars in the sky, my mind began to meditate on the glory of God, the glories of his creation. It's astounding. The songwriter wrote, it's not in her hymn book, but this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest in, in the thought of rocks and trees and of skies and seas, his hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds that their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white. Declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. We just sang the song, How Great Thou Art, verse number two. And, uh, when, th when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the brooks or hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountains grander and feel the brook and, and, and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul how great thou art. The, the glory of God is unmistakable in his creation, in his glory, in the, in the heavens. It's, it's astounding. It's uh, this un, unmistakable glory of God. But I want you to notice verse number two. It says, out of the mouth of babes, or excuse me, verse 19, or chapter 19, I need to get back to Verse number two, day, day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. I want you to consider not only this morning as we consider God's revelation in the sky, his unmistakable glory, but then consider with me God's undeniable gospel. Now follow me on this one. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
Today and what? Forever. The Bible says in Revelation that he died on the cross before the foundation of the world. Now, he knew he was going to die on the cross. He died 2,000 years ago on that cross. He knew he was going to rise again from the grave. God's undeniable gospel. Here's the verse for you. Revelation 14 and verse number 6. You need not turn there, but it says these words. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell upon the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. God's undeniable gospel. God, David knew the gospel of the stars. He, I remember as a boy, uh, I feel sorry for young people. Let me digress for just a second here. Uh, we didn't have computers, uh, young people. There were no such things. There were no such things. Believe it or not, once upon a time, there was no such thing as cell phones. We, there was no such thing as internet. When we had it, we had a, we did have a TV. It was a piece of furniture in our house. It was about this thick. It was about as thick and about this big. And uh, our TV had three channels on it. If we, the rabbit ears were right, and they were all black and white. And so what we did for entertainment is we actually went outside. And uh, we actually, uh, I grew up on the country. I've told the story many times. Uh, my neighbor across the street, Mr. Frederick, he farmed with horses. He was a poor farmer. And alongside of us, the right side of us, was Mr. Rich, and he was rich. He had a big farm. He had a 40-acre cornfield, and then he had his, uh, the woods behind his house. And uh, we would spend much, much time in those woods and, and look at the creation of God. And, and uh, I had much time to meditate. I remember sitting down by the brooks and literally looking at the minnows in the little stream, the little, little stream that would go by and pick up the rocks. And I remember dissecting blades of grass and looking at grass. And you say, boy, that's boring, preacher. That's how I learned to meditate on God. But think how much of that David did, this great psalmist. He had less than we had for entertainment in the 1960s. And he went out to the field. He was the author of this this. This psalm and at least 73 others. And he knew the constellations. He studied the stars. There's 12 great books. I want you to consider the Zodiac. I just read this this week for the first time. I've never done much with the Zodiac. I've always thought it was a bunch of hallabaloo, pardon my slang. A bunch of uh, uh, satanic worship, of course, and worshiping the stars instead of worshiping God. But I, I didn't realize, I was reading one of my commentators, and I didn't realize that the, the ancients studied the stars. Remember the wise men, they said they came from the Far East, and they said, we've seen his star in the East, and they called it his star. We've come to worship him. David studied the stars. There's 12 signs of the zodiac. There's divided into four groups, three in each group, obviously. I did not know this, or maybe I heard it and I forgot it, but there's the earth group, and there's air, water, and fire. The first of the earth group signs is that of Virgo, one of the first of constellations, or virgin. The last of the, the, the 12th sign is the, the sign of Leo, which is for lion. It's a, a fire. And even in the stars, God painted before the foundation of the world when he scattered the stars in the space. He made a road map for his first and second coming of his coming his first time as the Redeemer, as born of the Virgin uh, to redeem mankind. Coming the last time as lion of the tribe of Judah. It's believed that, and I, I was fascinated by this. I got to do some more studying. You'll probably hear this in the weeks and months to come. I didn't realize that uh, one commentator and historians, many historians, point to the, the Sphinx in Egypt 
as a picture of they were able to read the stars. And the Sphinx, of course, is a picture as a man with a head, picturing the, the, the virgin-born man. And uh, the, the Sphinx has a lined body. And, of course, that year, one year of rotation of the 12 constellations, 12 books of the sky, pictures the, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in his first, and coming, first coming in the, through the seed of the woman and his second coming through the line of the tribe of Judah. God's unmistakable witness is found even in the stars. It's astounding. He says he has the everlasting gospel. Before he repented in God's word, of course, the words for God were written before the forever, Lord, the words were settled in heaven. But we have the scriptures, but we have the, 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 the warnings of God and the, the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ in the, the stars as well. And so the Bible says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. But I want you to notice verse number three, if you could, please. Or let me finish verse number uh, or four. Their line, their rule has gone out throughout all the, the earth. And their words to the end of the world. They're talking about the, especially, especially the sun and the moon. Of course, how it's, it's uh, the rule of day, day, the sun rules, day, rules by day and the, the moon by night, of course. But we get to verse number four. Now here it is, verse number four, verse the latter part of the verse, in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. You think of this, the closest planet or the closest star to our, in our, and only star in our solar system, of course, is the sun. It's 93 million miles away. Now, I want you to consider God's, not only his un, unmistakable glory, but his undeniable gospel, but thirdly, God's understandable greatness. His understandable greatness. In Genesis 1.16, the Bible says, And God made two great lights, the greater light, i.e. the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And almost as an afterthought, he wrote these five last words in Genesis 1.16. He made the stars also. So you have to consider the stars for a moment. When I consider the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I asked a couple of questions this morning. How many stars are there? Have you asked Google, Google that question like I did? Google, Google has several answers, but here's the answer that I, I cut and pasted. The answer of how many stars there are, according to science, and we know that science is never wrong, is 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion, 770,000, million, million, million. Now let me put that in another number. That's 7 followed by 46 zeros. And I promise you that's larger than the national debt for sure. But I want you to know that there's a number of stars. I remember hearing as a kid, and I was hearing as a kid that there's more stars in heaven than there are grains of sand upon the seashore. I remember counting the grains of sand lasted, I was at the, at the beach, I was at the ocean. Our ocean was Lake Erie. And I grabbed a grand, grand handful of sand, and I started to count the grains of sand. It lasted about 30 seconds, and I realized this is not going to work, even as an 8-year-old, 10-year-old boy. And the number of, number of stars, another way of saying it, the Hubble Space Telescope in 2016 suggests that there's 2 trillion galaxies with about 100 million stars in each average galaxy. Now, the Bible says... Psalm 147 and verse number 4, he telleth the number of stars. 
Jesus said in the Gospels that he, he knows the number of hairs upon our head. And uh, it's a new count for you guys that are balding uh, every day, of course, you know. He knows the number of stars on our head, but he knows the number of, st- number, number of uh, hairs on our head, rather, but he knows the number of stars in heaven. And then the Bible says, he calleth them all by their names. Psalm 147, verse number 5 says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. There's an understatement. His understanding is infinite. So we ask the question, how many stars are there? Well, a seven followed by 46 zeros. Supposedly. God knows not only how many there are, but he knows the names of every one of them. Then I ask you a second question. How far away are the stars? I've already alluded our first star, our only star in our solar system is the sun. It's 90 million miles away. The next star in our universe, I was taught as a boy, but science corrected itself. I was taught it was Alpha Centauri. Now we've got more powerful telescopes, and we realize that Alpha Centauri is really... They divide it into A and B. That's actually uh, two stars. And it's 4.37 light years away at the speed of light, 186,000 and change miles per second. For 4.3 years, is the nearest star in our universe, outside of our solar system, of course. And you say, when you consider the, micro, the macrocosm of the, the crater, it blows your mind. You know, we're all worried, and I, I don't want to trivialize this coronavirus thing that's going on. But there's, I think, 140 Americans. That's the last time we checked. I'm sure it's growing by day each day. And uh, there's like 160,000 cases throughout. And every day it climbs, of course. In the grand scheme of things, it's, it's, there's 7.4 billion people on planet Earth. It's not, the whole world is shutting down over this coronavirus. It's amazing to me. God knows uh, every single 7.4 billion people on planet Earth. He knows who has corona. He knows who doesn't have corona. But he knows so much more than that. And we're all worried, and nations and stock markets across the world are crashing. And the economies, people are all worried that the world's coming to an end. And uh, God looks at this, and in Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible says that he looks at the nations the, uh, as uh, the small dust of the balance. I don't know, is there, is there large dust? I don't know. But he looks at the day nations as small dust of the balance. And then he says, they are considered to him not, not, as nothing. And then he says, they're less than nothing. I don't know how you get zero, less than zero. But that's what God looks at when he thinks he's our nations. He, he's not worried at all. He's, he's amazing. Now you say, this is too hard for me to comprehend. So I went on secular websites to find out how many stars there were. I went on secular websites to find out how far they were. They were, were, were away, and they, they gave an explanation for these stars. They gave three theories. The big theory that I learned when I was a kid was the Big Bang Theory. Let me ask you a question. Who do you deify this morning? You deify God or Big Bang? You de- deify God or Mother Nature? We have millions of people, and many are millennials, and many of the people that should know, are older and wiser and know, should know better, that are deifying nature and say, Mother Nature, and giving glory to God, and we were going to return to this wonderful earth that we, we were a part of, according to some people. No, the earth is for us, not the, 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 us for the earth, of course. But people, some people don't get that. But if you worship the earth, then, then, then you'd think that we're a part of the earth. 
So you've got to decide who you're going to worship, who you're going to give glory to this morning. I choose to believe that God knows everything there is to know about everything, that he knows every, every thought of your head, in your head and your mind before you ever think it. He's, he's, he knows our thought, thoughts about us afar off. He's the God of the macrocosm, but he's the God of the microcosm. How big is God? He's big enough to, with the work of his fingers, to create the universe. He's small enough to live in my heart and to know me personally and intimately. What a God we serve. And so we see the God, God's revelation in the sky, but then verses 7 to 14, look at it carefully with me now as we dissect the second half of this psalm. Consider God's revelation in the scriptures. First of all, verses 7 through 10 I want you to consider this morning that God's revelation of the, in the scriptures is precious. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise is simple. That word, law of the Lord is perfect, converting. The word converting there, I have a note in my Bible. It's also the word for restoring. Restoring or bringing back. The great lover letter from God, the word of God was a love letter written to bring back sinners to a place of, to, to a, the place of sainthood or to becoming a child of God. It was paradise lost in the garden. But Jesus gave his 10-word thesis statement why he came to earth in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see this preciousness of the word of God that converts and brings back the soul to the a right standing with God. It cuts right through the hearts of philosophy and of man and psychology and, and psychiatry and all the rest, right to the soul of man. Man says that we have, uh, we have inerrant problems with us, we have chemical imbalances and so forth, and I'm not dying that we might have, there's such a thing as chemical imbalance, don't misunderstand me, we can be low in Sugar, we can be low in salt, we can be low in a number of different chemicals. That's why we take vitamins and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. But my point is that we have, we, the word of God is precious because it challenges us and it, and it cuts right to, through the philosophies of man and gets right to the soul of the problem that we need to be converted, we're lost, and we need to be saved. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is quick, it's living. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is precious, and it, it challenges us. Not only does it challenge us, but verse number eight, notice what it does. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It not only challenges us, but it's precious because it cheers us. It cheers us. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And there was a joy and rejoicing in my heart. I have to be very elusive now. I talk to a lot of people, numbers of people throughout each week usually that don't ever come to church. I talked to somebody yesterday and I talked to that same person a few days earlier this past week. They're not here in church. They can't be here now in church because of their physical condition. And uh, again, I have to be careful here, but they're, they're afraid of dying. I understand why they'd be afraid of dying. They didn't live any of their life for the Lord. They raised a family that's not living for the Lord. They're coming to the end of their life, and they know it, and they're, they're scared. 
this person has prayed with me and I've led this person in a sinner's prayer. And I believe that they meant it, but they don't have assurance. They don't know and they're, they're terrified now. Can you imagine facing the inevitable that is death and eternity without God in your heart? Without knowing the cheer, the, the, knowing the surety of the word of God that brings cheer and confidence and, and can mock death by saying, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You see, the word of God is precious. It's precious to the living person. It's precious to the person that's dying. It's precious. It challenges us. It brings us back to us to Christ. But then verses 9 and 10, notice that it changes us. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Jeff Bezos has been in the news a lot lately. I heard this past week. He bought another house. I'm happy for him. He bought a house for $164 million, the Warner house owned by Time Warner once upon a time in California. It's one of the number of houses he has. I don't know if you know how many houses he has. And some people are really, there's a certain presidential candidate that's bashing these billionaire rich people as evil people. And I heard a commentator say, if we gave $164 million to 164 homeless people, how wonderful that would be. But then... It was also brought down, down, down to the fact that chances are that if a homeless person got a million dollars apiece, that within a short period of time, they'd probably squander all that money. They'd have nothing to show for it in a year or two or three. Whereas Jeff Bezos is taking that $164 million, how many people are he going to have to hire to take care of that place? Give away, uh, check for, uh, give wages for, and so forth. What I'm saying is I, I get so tired of people bashing rich people. I'm a rich man. And uh, I'm going to a rich heaven. I'm not going to a poor heaven. My, my, my master is, owns cattle on all the uh, thousand hills, and he owns the hills as well. He's, uh, the, but you say, preacher, what's your point? your point? The point is, when you get the word of God, it's so precious, it's more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, than the honeycomb. I wouldn't trade places with Jeff Bezos for all the money in all the world. Jeff Bezos is only has his gold for now, here and now. One day he's going to die. He's going to leave it all behind. But see, the Bible says for the child of God, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, it's precious, this, this scripture. It challenges us. It cheers us. It changes us. But then I want you to notice verses 11 through 14, the word of God is not only is his revelation in the scriptures, is it precious to us, but it's powerful. How powerful. Verse number 11. It's powerful enough to convict us of our sin. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. I think of Carl Woodbury. I asked in the 815 service how many people know Carl Woodbury. No hands raised, so I won't even bother asking now because I know you don't know who he is. But you know who Martin Luther King Jr. was. And you know who Arnold Palmer is? I think he's still alive, or did he die? I don't know. I think, he's di- I think he died, didn't he? Yeah, Arnold Palmer. Well, Arnold Palmer and Martin Luther King were classmates with Carl Woodbury at Crozier Seminary in western Pennsylvania. It's been long since defunct, defunct for almost 40-some years now. The Southern Baptist Liberal Seminary, back when the Southern Baptist was highly liberal, Carl Woodbury... I heard him preach 20 times at least, 
And uh, he might still be alive. If he's alive, he's over 100 years of age. The last time I checked, he was 97 and still living. Carl Woodbury preached for a number of years as the largest Baptist church in the state of North Carolina. And that's saying something. He wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even saved at a Baptist church, Baptist preacher. And he had a farm boy preacher, he called him. He taught, teased him down the road. He was a part-time farmer and a part-time preacher. But he was born again. He knew simplistically the Lord Jesus Christ. And he believed the word of God to be the word of God. And Carl Woodbury mocked the word of God. And he finally got challenged one day to start studying the word of God and not believe what his professors that didn't possess were telling him about the word of God. And he began to study for the word of God and for himself for a solid year, a true scholar, a true genius. Make a long story short, within a year, with one year's time after reading dozens of uh, Bible through numbers of times and cross-referencing the Bible and he found out the Bible was the word of God. He found out he could be trusted. It was verified. It was precious. It was perfect. He ran to his farm boy preacher and he told him he was on his tractor. He tells the story and he, he stopped and said, I need to get saved. And he was gloriously born again. But he found out two things about the word of God. He found out the word of God. He found out the simplicity of it. That it was so simple that a child could understand it and receive Christ as Savior. He found out, secondly, the symmetry of it, that the beautiful kaleidoscope, uh, 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 how wonderful it all came together, 1,600 years, uh, two testaments, uh, three different languages, 41 different human authors, uh, and all compiled, and yet the Word of God was beautiful symmetry, like the creation of God in His universe, in His Solar and our solar system in our universe and how everything magically and work, perfectly works. So the word of God is perfect and, and is able to convict and cleanse our, cleanse our soul. And, and, and he was gloriously saved and been preaching the gospel and believing the book ever since. I want you to notice verse number 12. Notice not only it's powerful to convict, but secondly, the word of God is powerful to cleanse. To cleanse. The Bible says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse on me from secret faults. There's a radical cleansing. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we become a new creature in Christ. And there's recurrent cleansing. There's cleansing day by day washing. The washing of water by the word. But then verses 13 and 14, notice them with me. The psalmist said, David said, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous or willful sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He talked about secret faults. Those are, were washed from our unwitting sins, our unknowing, unknown sins, but were, then were withheld in verse number 13 from our presumptuous sins, from our willful sins. The word of God is precious and is powerful to correct us. The interest of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. And then the psalmist ends with these wonderful words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You see, in Psalm 19, the, the word for the, the psalm for the world, we see that he speaks to us in the skies. When I consider the sun, the moon, and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We see the glory of God in the heavens. It's what we call general revelation. He speaks to us in the skies. Romans chapter 1 says that 
we are without excuse when we see the, the, by the creation that it's clearly evident that God is real, that he exists, just by his creation, by the revelation in the skies. That's general revelation. But he speaks to us in the skies, but then he speaks to us specifically in the scriptures. The entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. That's what we call specific revelation. Thank God for the word of God. Where would we be? Where would you be without the word of God? So the word of God speaks to us. He speaks to us in the skies. He speaks to us in the scriptures. But some people never read the scriptures. And if they never read it, they can never hear, hear the specific will for God for their life. And they need to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to be born again, to re- call upon the name of the Lord to save them. But the beautiful thing is about these psalms of meditation is he speaks to us, yes, through the skies, through his creation. He speaks to us through scriptures, the word of God. But best of all, he speaks to my soul. The song says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. We're going to sing in just a moment, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. To some of you in this room, and I would like to think the large majority of you in this room, the word of God has spoken to your heart this morning. This psalm that you've read maybe hundreds of times has spoken to your heart. You say, yes, I see God in the sky. I see God in the scriptures. But he actually speaks to me personally in my heart. In my meditation may be acceptable in his sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. But you may be here today and you've never received Christ as your savior in your heart. Maybe intellectually, but not in your heart. Today is the day of salvation. And he talks to you, speaks to you softly and tenderly. As a gentleman God, he invites you to receive him as Savior. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that we might hear the still small voice. As Samuel said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Thank you for these wonderful psalms of meditation. Speak now to our hearts and lives in this moment of invitation. We ask and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, page 161 in the hymn book.